the 1920s, there was a young man by the name of Edwin Shoemaker. He was living in Michigan, and he was expected to take over his family's farm as he got a little bit older, but he really wasn't into farming. Instead, Edwin Shoemaker, he loved to build things. He was very innovative. And so he actually, in 1927, changed the whole furniture industry. See, up until that point, furniture just sort of sat there. But it was Edwin Shoemaker who was the first one that made a chair that could actually recline back. And then a couple years later, he put an addition onto that, a little lever at the bottom that when you pulled the lever, the feet would come up and you could actually lean all the way back. He and his cousin, they began to sell these things and they were a big, huge hit. Now, anyone want to guess what was the name of the company that they had started? Yeah, Lazy Boy. Lazy Boy. And man, it took off. In the 1970s, when it ended up going public, Edwin Shoemaker became an instant multi, multi, multi millionaire. People would ask him about his company and he'd go, well, I guess we did all right. Last year in 2021, Lazy Boy did $1.7 billion worth of sales. I would say they, they did all right. 1998, Edwin Shoemaker was now 90 years old. He was still working full time, still running the company. One night, he and some friends went out for dinner. He went home, he got into his lazy boy, he reclined back, and he passed away peacefully there in his sleep. That's a little bit of the definition of the American dream, isn't it? That you start your own company, you, you make millions of dollars, and then you kick back in your lazy boy, and you die peacefully in your sleep. Today, as we continue our series called Established, I want to talk to you about how Jesus took the concept and the thought of the American dream that we have today, and he flipped it on its head. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. Again, John chapter 13, that's where we're going to hang out today. I do want to welcome all of those of you that are watching online with us. Right now, you see there is a button there in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. That's called Talk Notes. If you'll just simply press that button, that's going to take you to all the scriptures I'm going to look at today, as well as the main points I'm going to be making. Those of you here live in the room, welcome to you as well. If you go to your smartphone or your tablet, you can go to our website, exponential.church. You can access the talk notes there as well and, and get all the points I'm going to be making in the scriptures uh, that I'll be speaking about. As you continue to turn to, to John chapter 13, let me give you just a little bit of context. Because in Jesus' day and time, they weren't chasing after the American dream. Why weren't they chasing after the American dream? Because there was no America. <laughs> This was Israel that they're in. America didn't even exist yet. But they had what was called sort of the, the Roman dream. And remember, in that day and time, the whole world was being ruled by the Roman Empire. And so everybody wanted to be a part of this, this sort of Roman dream to, to sort of climb the ladder in Roman society. They had what was called a hierarchy system or what we would call social classes. So sort of how like we have the upper class, the upper middle class, middle class, lower middle class, and then the lower class. They had a, a class type of system, but here's how it worked for them. At the very top was Caesar. Caesar was at the top. And Caesar was known as the king of kings. Caesar was the supreme leader. Caesar was the one that if Caesar wanted it, Caesar got it. Below Caesar then, there were 600 what were known as senators. And these were basically the administrators of the entire Roman Empire. Now, whether they wanted to admit it or not, 
Each one of those 600 senators, they wanted to be the Caesar. But that was hard to climb to the Caesar position because there was only one of those. Now below the senators then, what was called the equestrian class. These were the wealthy landowners of the day. Now between Caesar and the senators and the equestrian class, these were the people that ruled everything. They made all the decisions. They had all the power. Below them then was the plebeians. These were the people that were just the common, ordinary, everyday Roman citizens. Below them were the freedmen. These were people who were once slaves, but they had been freed. And then the, the bottom level then would have been the servants or the slaves. Now, again, every single person, they wanted to climb up to the next class. And then once you got to that class, they wanted to climb to the next class. And once you got to that class, you wanted to keep climbing up to the next class. It was thought that if you just worked hard enough, if you just worked smart enough, you could continue to climb up. Does it sound like anybody else we know? Doesn't it sound like the, the Roman dream is exactly what we would classify as the American dream as well? They just keep working harder, just keep working smarter, make a little bit more money, just keep climbing up in class and just keep passing by other people. All right, so with all that context in mind then, this is an amazing story that we find here in John chapter 13. We'll begin with verse 1. It was now the day before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knows that within the next 24 hours, one of his very best friends, one of his 12, a guy by the name of Judas, is going to betray him. And Jesus knows that because of Judas' betrayal, that Jesus, he himself, is going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, he's going to be whipped, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be beaten, and ultimately he's going to be crucified on a cross. It's important that you understand the timing of this whole story that we're looking at because it makes what Jesus is about to do even more remarkable. Look at verses 2 to 3. It was the time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him what? He had given him authority over what? Over everything. And that he had come from God and would return to God. So Jesus has been given authority over everything. Now, does over everything include the Roman hierarchy? Yes? Yes. He's got authority over the Roman heart. Does that mean he even has authority over Caesar? Yes. So Jesus is the true king of kings. Jesus is the true Lord of all lords. Capital K, capital L. Jesus has authority over it all. Jesus has all the power. The question is, when you have all the power, what are you going to do with it? Well, let's look at what Jesus did. Verses 4 and 5. So Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. Now, first, this doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, Jesus, what are you doing? You're doing a job that's reserved for the, the, the lowest of the low, the, the servants, the, the slaves. You shouldn't be doing this. Jesus, don't you know who you are? You have all the power. You, you've climbed all the way to the top of the ladder. You're supposed to be kicking back in the lazy boy, taking it easy. You're doing a job that's reserved for somebody else. This is somebody else's job to serve you. 
But Jesus wasn't chasing the Roman dream or what we would call the American dream. Jesus came to radically flip what we define as success. And, you know, instead of just preaching about that it's a different way in his kingdom, Jesus decides to demonstrate it by he, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, wrapping a towel around his waist, getting down on his knees, and washing his disciples' feet. Now, let me ask you a question. When you hear the word God mentioned, what image instantly flashes in your mind when you hear the word God? For some of you, when you hear God, you, you think of a judge. You, you, you think of a, a judge sitting up, you know, high above the people. He's got his robe on, and he's got that big old, you know, gavel there, and he's going to uh, pronounce judgment. And he's looking to, to punish you in some way. That's how some of you see God. For others of you, you, you think of God like as this guy with this long, white, flowing hair and the big old beard and stuff. And he's in the lazy boy and he's kicked back. He's just sort of relaxing. He doesn't really care about what's happening in your life. He's just all about himself. But here's what I want to say to you today. When you hear the word God, the very first image that should flash into your mind is this picture of what we just saw Jesus do of humbly getting down on his knees and washing the feet of his disciples. You see, that's who Jesus is. That's who God is. That's the very essence of God, that God came to serve us. Jesus came to, to serve. And I want you to think about the people that he was serving there in that room that night. Who was present in the room? Well, you have Judas, the one that's about to betray him. Jesus knows that, but yet he still wraps the towel around his waist, gets down on his knees, and he washes his betrayer's feet. Who else is in the room? Well, you got Peter. Within 24 hours, Peter is going to deny three times that he even knows Jesus. But yet Jesus, even though he knows that's going to happen, he still wraps the towel around his waist, gets down on his knees, and he washes his denier's feet. Who else is in the room? I got Thomas, who within the next three days is going to doubt that Jesus has really risen again from the dead. He's going to doubt Jesus' words that he had promised that, look, they can kill me, but I will come back to life. But even despite all that, Jesus still wraps the towel around his waist, gets down on his knees, and he washes his doubter's feet. That's just who God is. That no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what you'll do in the future, God still loves you and he wants to serve you. That's the picture of him. That both literally and figuratively, Jesus takes the junk from our lives, the, the messy, dirty parts of our lives, and he takes it upon himself. Now, I didn't really appreciate this whole story until the very first time we went down to Haiti. Because the, the denomination we're a part of, the, the Churches of God General Conference, we actually have three ordinances. Many denominations only have two. 
baptism and communion. We actually have three. Feet washing is actually considered an ordinance of our denomination, something that should be practiced. And so when we go off to our annual conference every year, there's a, a part of our time that we as the pastors, we all get together and we wash one another's feet. Now, here's the deal. We know what day feet washing is going to be. So guess what we do that morning? We wash our own feet really good. <laughs> you don't want to take your shoes and socks off and, and they're all filthy and disgusting for somebody else, right? There's that part of us that we're like, all right, I'm going to prepare my feet so that when they wash my feet, they're already clean. Very first time we went down to Haiti, though, and, and the, the reason I'm saying this, remembering Jesus' day and time, they wore sandals everywhere, and the roads that they had were, were uh, dirt roads, right? And the primary means of transportation, if you weren't walking, getting your feet dirty that way, was you were on some sort of an animal. Well, guess what animals are going to do along the road? They're going to leave some deposits, little souvenirs for the people, for their feet, that you are walking through animal dung all the time. And so the very first time we went to Haiti, and I see Seth and Bree there in the back. Remember, we went to this outdoor market, and it had just rained right before this. And so we're walking through this market, and I had flip-flops on. And it is muddy, and there's all kinds of animals everywhere, and the, you, know, you can smell what you're walking through. And when we got back to our compound where we stay, I was like, okay, I got to wash my feet. And I was disgusted washing my own feet, much less the feet of somebody else. So keep in mind, that's what Jesus is doing here in this picture. He's not washing his disciples' feet and they're nice and clean because they have prepared for this moment. He's washing them because they're filthy, they're disgusting. And again, that's the picture of what Jesus does for our lives. That what he did on the cross is he takes all the junk, all the dirt, all the stuff from our lives, and he washes us, and he cleanses us, and he makes us whole. That's why John writes this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our wrongdoings. That's what makes Christianity different than every other world religion. Every other world religion is about what you need to do to clean yourself up to be in God's presence. Christianity is the exact opposite. It's about that you can't do anything to clean yourself, that only God can do that for you. Only he can wash you and cleanse you and make you brand new. All right, now back to the story. It's Jesus going around the room and he's washing the feet of each of the disciples. He comes to Peter and Peter realizes what Jesus is about to do. And Peter gets very, very uncomfortable with the thought of Jesus getting down and washing his feet. And so we read this in John 13, verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter's like, I, I don't think I can receive this from him. And then the reason for that is earlier, Peter had, had come to this conclusion that Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the, the Son of God. You are the, the one that is the, the living God. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And so Peter's like running all this through his mind that I can't let the Messiah wash my feet. He's thinking, Jesus, have you forgotten who it is that you are? In verse 7, 
Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. But Peter's still not convinced. How can he allow the creator of the whole universe, the Messiah, to bend down and wash his feet? He's like, I am just a filthy, dirty fisherman. I can't allow this to happen. Verse 8, Peter protested, no, 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 no. I can't allow you to ever wash my feet. But Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, then you don't really belong to me. Ouch. Jesus says, if you don't let me serve you in this way, if you don't allow me to cleanse you, then you're not a part of me. You're not a part of my family. It's in this moment then that a light bulb goes off for Peter. He has this epiphany. And so in verse 9, we read, Peter exclaimed, Then Lord, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands and my head as well. Peter's like, look, if being in a relationship with Jesus means that I, first of all, have to allow him to serve me, then Jesus, uh, I don't just need my feet washed. I need every single bit of me washed. So Jesus washed my head, washed my hands as well. See, that's what we need to understand for ourselves. That what separates Christianity, again, from every other world religion isn't just that it's only Jesus that can cleanse us and that it isn't about us doing something to get right with God, that it's God has to do something for us. But also, it's that the very first step of Christianity is that we need to allow God to serve us. That is so weird to think about, isn't it? That God, the, the creator of the universe, the very first thing you need to do to be in a relationship with him is to allow him to humble himself and do something for you. We're dirty. We're sinful. We've messed up. We've done a lot of things that displease God. And the very first thing we need to do is allow him to bow down before us and wash our feet to cleanse us from our sin? That's sort of crazy to think about. But yet that's where it starts. And, and the more you start to appreciate that, that the first step is God serving me, then now you, you know why I say all the time that the only acceptable response that we could have then in return after God has served us is to go, what do I need to do to serve him? What do I need to do to, to, to serve him? Because my heart is so full of gratitude that God would humble himself enough to save me. God, what, what is it that you want me to do? And you know how God's going to respond to that? almost every single time, he's going to say, it's not really about serving me. The way you serve me best is you serve other people. You share this good news with other people. You serve other people. You raise up disciples with other people. Verses 12 and 13, we read, after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet 
and had put his outer garment back on, he sat down again. Then he said, do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you should, because that is who I am. In other words, Jesus reminded them, hey, I am above the hierarchy. I am above Caesar. I'm greater than what he is. Then Jesus explains why he's done all this. And it's basically what I just said to you. Verses 14 to 17, it says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. For here's the truth. A servant is not greater than his master, and messengers are not greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, God will bless you if you do them. <laughs> this is another thing. This is amazing. Jesus could have just said, hey, now that I've done this for you, now you do it for other people. That would have made sense. But he adds a little extra onto it. He says, and when you do this, you're going to be blessed because of it. Here's what I want you to hear today, Exponential. The blessed life is greater than the American dream. Let me say that again. The blessed life is greater than the American dream. No matter what our society tries to sell to you as the American dream of just get this, do this, have this, buy that, whatever it is, the blessed life of serving other people, humbling yourself like Jesus did, and serving others, that's the very best life that you could possibly have. And so if you want to live your very best life now, right here in the good old U.S. of A., it's not about acquiring more stuff. It's not about climbing the ladder of success. It's not about kicking it back in the lazy boy and taking it easy. No, it's all about putting on the servant towel, getting down on your feet, and washing the feet of others. Now, that may not always be literally, but figuratively speaking, what we need to do every single day of our lives out of gratitude for what Jesus did for us, is to show every single man, woman, boy, and girl that we come in contact with that you matter to God and you matter to me as well. That's really why we don't have ministries here at Exponential. We, we offer what we do on Sundays. You know, we have things for youth and for the kids and stuff, and we have life groups that you can be a part of. But really, the, the, the thrust of exponential is you matter. And you matter isn't about the quote-unquote church designing something for you to do. Because what that often becomes is whatever the senior pastor or whatever the leadership of the church, it's what they're passionate about. And hey, you come and do our thing. That's not what God has called us to do. God has called each and every one of us to find the gifts and the skills and the talents and the abilities that he's given us and then to go out, not to have everybody come to us, but to go out into the community and show people you matter to God and you matter to me. And so you need to discover that for yourself. Who is it that God has created you to be? What is the ministry that God is asking you to, to go out and serve the people in Harrisburg or, or in Hagerstown or in Haiti or wherever it is? Every day you matter to God and you matter to me. Every single woman, man, boy, and girl that you ever lock eyes with is somebody that matters to God. And they've got to matter to you as well. Jesus promises, when we do that, you'll be blessed. 
Now, I mentioned to you last week as sort of a reminder that at the end of last year, we did a big survey as a whole church body. Remember that? It was an anonymous survey. Everybody filled it out, a couple hundred questions. Uh, most of you did it. And then we got the results back and, you know, collectively, how are we doing? This doesn't apply to every single person, but what we discovered like last week is one of the things that we were weak at collectively as a church is personal time with God in prayer. And so that's why I preached on it last week. You know, how do you talk to God? And the week before, how do you listen to God? Because that's a part of prayer as well. Here's the things we scored really high on. I don't know if I mentioned this, but things that collectively we scored really high on was knowing things about Jesus, head knowledge. You guys like scored like in the, like I think it was in like the 90th percentile of the thousands and thousands of churches that have ever gone through Reveal. Like you guys know a lot about Jesus because we talk about Jesus a lot, right? And, that, and that's good that you know a lot, but remember week one of this series, I said it can't just be about head knowledge. That's not a real relationship. You got to go beyond that. Uh, another thing you guys scored really high in is, um, is like personal practices of faith. Like being in scripture, tithing, various things like that. So you guys are doing phenomenal with that. Another thing you guys are doing very good, like the interpersonal transformation, the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You guys are doing really good at personally changing. You know what we scored lowest in? And it was by far the lowest. It was a category called putting your faith into action. So you're learning a lot about Jesus. You, you got it intellectually. You're like doing personal practices yourself. You yourself are being changed, but what that hasn't translated to then is then you're going, oh, because Jesus changed me, now my job is to go and help to change the lives of other people. Now, ultimately, only Jesus is the one that can change somebody, but Jesus uses you as a vessel to do that. And so, again, it's not about us creating things for you to do. You need to be the one taking the initiative to go, you know what? It's my job to go show the world that you matter to God and you matter to me as well. And so we, we've got to collectively, as a church body, do a much better job at this task of doing what Jesus said in, in Mark 10, 45. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve others and give my life up for the ransom of all. That is to be the model for our lives, that life isn't about me but it's about every single moment of every single day saying, how can I serve God better? And again, as I said earlier, most of the time God's going to say, the way you serve me better is by serving other people. And that's not me saying that. That's actually Jesus. Jesus is the one that made that connection. We've shared this, uh, this scripture before. It's called the, the great commandment. Remember, there was a, a young Jewish guy, uh, one of the leaders, he comes up to Jesus and he's like, hey, what's the most important commandment? Jesus says this in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, all your strength. He says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Again, this series is all about how do you get it rooted and established in the love of God? And especially how do you do that in, <laughs> with the fact that, you know, you can't actually see God. And so here's the big thought that I have for you today. If you're taking notes, it's simply this. I love an invisible God by serving my visible neighbor. Say that again. I love an invisible God by serving my visible neighbor. Next question you have is, well, who is 
my neighbor. Well, thankfully, Jesus answered that question. He told the story of the great Samaritan. And remember, the, the sort of the moral of that story was that your neighbor is anybody you see who's in need. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter their race. It doesn't matter what country they're from. It doesn't matter their social economic class that they're part of. It doesn't matter if they're a male or a female. It doesn't matter their age. If you see someone in need, your job then as a follower of Jesus is to meet that need. And I've said that to you for many years now, that little phrase, keep it in mind. If you see a need, meet a need. If you see a need, meet a need. If you see a need, you meet a need. What's that look like? Well, let me give you some examples. If you see a need in this building, guess whose job it is? Come on, this is the audience participation part. If you see a need in this building, whose job is it? It's yours. If you see a need, meet a need. If you see a need that we have in, in our ministries here on Sundays, step up, meet the need. If you see a need in your home, that's your job, meet the need. If you see a need in your workplace, meet the need. If you see a need in our community, Meet the need. If you see a need in your school, meet the need. We are to serve. Now, can you always perfectly meet it? No. But you're to take your gifts, your skills, your abilities, your talents, your treasure. And you say, Jesus, here it is. I, I see this need. And I'm going to do the very best I can to meet this need. And you just serve anybody and everybody that you can. Now later that same night after Jesus had washed the feet of his disciples, he said this in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And here's what we need to realize. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Love is actually a verb. Love is an action. Love is something that we do. And so if we've said yes to following Jesus, by default, what you're doing is you're saying yes to loving all people that he puts in your path. What you're saying yes to is serving all people that he puts into your path. Loving and serving in the kingdom of God is not an optional thing. You don't get to get just, oh, I got a lot of head knowledge about Jesus, and oh, yeah, I'm checking the boxes because I read my Bible and I tithed and I did all that, and oh, yeah, I'm personally being changed. That's not the whole package. The whole package now is that's got to translate to you now serving anybody and everybody that God puts into your path. And Jesus says when we do that collectively, the whole world's going to stand up and sit up and take notice and go, something different about these people. And whatever it is that they have, that's what I want. See, again, the world is all about serve me. I'm going to go after the American dream. I'm going to kick back in the lazy boy. But Jesus wants you to break from that mindset. He wants you to have a brand new attitude. And what is that attitude? Well, the Apostle Paul gives sort of this like little manifesto on what this would look like, of the mindset of what Jesus had. And this is so amazing. I want you to hear these words. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. 
Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, by his own free will, he gave up all that he had and he took on the nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. Christ was humble. He obeyed God and even to the point of dying on a cross. Remember when I went through the, the hierarchy of Jesus' day, what was the lowest? Servant, slave. And what does Paul say that Jesus did here? He decided to go even one step lower than that and die a criminal's death on the cross. And so Jesus wants us to humble ourselves in the same way he humbled himself. Even though he was God, he didn't cling to that. He humbled himself even to the point of death. And so we're to emulate that. There is no task that should ever be beneath us. Now, I was on a training call that I was doing with some other pastors uh, this week. I was doing the training and I had a guest speaker on and the guest speaker didn't know what I was going to be speaking on today, but he said something just sort of out of the blue. And I was like, I'm stealing that for the sermon <laughs> because here's what he said. Be careful as you climb the ladder of success, because what you're going to miss is seeing Jesus who's on his way down. As you're trying to climb that ladder, Jesus is on his way down. He's on his way down to death itself. And he did that for you, Jesus was willing to get down on his knees and wash your dirty, stinking life. That's Jesus. And he's the one that we're supposed to model our lives after. And so if Jesus was willing to humble himself, we've got to be willing to humble ourselves as well. Remember. Remember the promise of Jesus. That when you serve, you will be blessed. And that the blessed life is greater than the American dream. All right, now let me make this practical for you here for a second. Finally, 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 this is on me, right? After a year of working on it, because I got a lot of things I'm working on, right? After a year of working on it, I now have a class and a course put together called CLASES that is going to help you discover what is your call in life. Who is it that God has best called you to serve? We should be willing to serve anybody. But there is still the gifts and the skills and the abilities and the talents that God has given you that's going to make you best in some way. There's a certain group of people or a certain, uh, you know, uh, topical thing, you know, single moms or, or helping, you know, young girls escape the, the sex industry or, or whatever. There, there's something that God has placed a burden on you. And he's given you the gifts and the skills, the talents, and the abilities to, to do it. And so what this course is, is it's a, a four session, four, uh, yeah, we're going to call it session because I'm not quite even sure yet. Is it going to be every single week or it's going to be once a month, but it's going to be four sessions. And it's, it's basically video driven. I'll do a little bit of teaching and then there's a lot of work that you're going to uh, be doing with it on your own. But I, want, I actually want the initial group to be a part of like a, a group experience that we do it like with a group of six of you. 
So here's what I need. And I know some of you already had, I know Rich, you were one of them that the last year when I talked about, hey, this is what I'm working on. I was hoping that it was coming out soon. Rich is like, yeah, count me in. I want to do this, right? Well, Rich, it's been a year. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're ready now. So I'm ready for six of you to step up and volunteer and say, hey, I want to be a pilot of this. Because again, I'm designing the thing. And so we need to work out some kinks with it, you know, and then what's going on. So that way, when we release it to everybody, it's going to be like, okay, this is good. And it's going to help you discover how you can go into the Harrisburg community, the Hagerstown community, or wherever, and just show people you matter to God and you matter to me as well. So if you're interested in that, let me know. And you guys, you know, there's a lot of ways you can contact me. You can either talk to me personally. You can email me, gilbert at exponential.church. Many of you are friends with me on Facebook. You can either send me a, a DM on there or, uh, you know, just tag me in a post. But if you're interested in being a part of that pilot, again, I'm only going to accept six people. So first come, first served. All right. Uh, those of you online right now, if you're not in the Harrisburg area, we're going to reserve uh, just for the Harrisburg uh, group right now for the pilot. But we're going to get that quickly up and running so that you guys uh, can have that down in Hagerstown and some of our other locations as well. So, uh, again, I need six of you to, to uh, volunteer to be a part of that. All right. That makes sense. All right. Man, imagine if we all put on the serving towel. I started to, in humility, serve people. What a difference we can make. And what if through the, the difference we were making as, as exponential church, that don't you think that others would start to go, wow, those people, they're constantly serving. They're putting their faith into action all the time. And there'd be other Christians that go, man, we, 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 need, to, we need to do that in our church. And we, we can inspire others to do it as well. So let's put our faith in action. Let's be who it is that Jesus has called us to be. Servants. Why? Because he first served and loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and this opportunity to once again look into your word. And oh, Lord, wow, we, we got a, a beautiful picture today of who you are. That you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, but yet you're also the one who's willing to humble himself and get down and wash your disciples' feet. And Jesus, we thank you that you humbled yourself then, died on the cross so that our sins may be forgiven. And so Lord, our only possible acceptable response then is to say, Jesus, since you gave it all for me, I'm now going to give it all back for you. It's not about what I want. It's not about chasing after the American dream. It's about you and your kingdom. And so, Lord, my prayer is that each and every one of us would just every single day have our spiritual antenna up and just looking for opportunities of serving people. And if we see a need, Lord, that we would meet that need. And Lord, I pray that this pilot that we do with the Clases course would go well and that we would be able to offer it then to, to everybody so that every single person listening to my voice, whether it's live right now or in the future, that, Lord, they would be able to go through the course and discover who it is that you have created them to be. Why are they here on this earth? What is it that you would have them to do that nobody else could ever, ever do? And then, Lord, that once they discover that they would walk in that fully and that they would make a difference for you and for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we know your promise is that if we will do that, if we'll become who it is you would have us to be and do what it is that you would have us to do, that that is the blessed life. And so thank you, Jesus, that we can be blessed 
but we have to do it according to your definition, the way that you said things should be done, not the way that our world says that it should be done. So help us to get fully on board with your plan so we can make a difference in Harrisburg and Hagerstown and beyond, show people that you matter to God and you matter to us as well. Thank you again, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.